Hi, my name is Sam Williams. Welcome to episode number 12 of my 60s music podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. So first, I'd like to welcome all of you to episode number 12 of my 60 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? Well, I'm just going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, I'm a 22-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60s music fan slash expert slash nerd, and each week with this podcast, I review one song by one artist from the 60s, and first talk about my opinion on the song, why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks, and then do my own personal analysis on the record and the arrangement of the song, which will include the chords, melody, and lyrics, and then dig deep into the history behind the record, which will include who wrote it, who produced it, and who played on it, and all the juicy behind-the-scenes details details on the group or song I talk about each week, and all the people and places involved in the making of the record. But before we move on with this week's episode of the show, I just want to take the time and say thank you to every single person who has taken the time to have listened to my show and give me your feedback on it and tell me, like, what am I doing wrong or what, what should I improve on or what do you like about it? I really do appreciate your feedback and the time that you spent uh, the free time that you spent in uh, listening to my show. But uh, I think right now is a good time for me to ask you guys some feedback on my show. Um, I've had a couple people tell me that in a few of my episodes, I'm talking way too fast. And and then because of that, they were unable to process the information that I'm talking about in, uh, in my show. So I'm going to ask you guys two questions. First of all, Am I talking too fast when I'm doing these podcast episodes and do I need to slow down? Or if the speed I'm talking at is fine, you guys are able to process the information just okay and not have any problems with me talking way too fast. And second of all, I wanted to ask you guys, so I know with this show, there's two parts of it, right? There's me talking about my opinion on the song and then me diving into the history behind it like the writers and producers and session players but my question I have for you guys is what do you guys like better do you guys like me talking about my opinion on the song and hearing my perspective on the song or do you guys like the history behind the record which will include like the writers and producers and me really digging into that and getting super specific about that um what do, which which part of the show do you like better the my opinion or the history which one should i do more of my opinion or the history if you want you can email me or you can get in touch with me via instagram at her oldies or you can email me at sam at hickeywilliams.com and you can tell me which do you like better um and if you do that i will try to do more of which part of the show you like better the history or my opinion on the song so uh please go ahead and do that and i look forward to hearing what you guys have to say about whether or not I talk too fast and which part of the show do you like better. But moving on, let's get started in this week's song, shall we? Okay, so the song I'll be reviewing in this week's show, it's a song that is very sensual and very sexy, but it's one of those songs that I'm pretty sure you're going to like a lot. It's a song that's so mysterious I'll leave you with some unanswered questions after you listen to it. 
The song was recorded in June of 1964 and released a month later in July of 1964 in the UK and they climbed the charts in America the fall of that year. It's a song by the zombies. It's neither than She's Not There. Oh my god! I mean, this song is just one of the hottest songs I've ever heard when I was growing up listening to oldies radio. I mean, I don't know what's sexier, the chord progression or Colin Bloodstone's lead vocals. But let's start with the chord progression. Okay, so the song is in the key of A minor, and I consider that key one of the sexiest minor keys you can write within. But what's really interesting about this song is a little extra notes that Rod Argent throws in in between the chords and that oh-so-sexy improvisational solo in the middle of the song. But what's really interesting about the beginning of the song is how the piano and the bass don't step on each other in the verses. They each cover different beats of each measure in the verse, and how the for the drums, the drummer pretty much only uses the snare and hi-hat, but no kick. It's almost a minimalistic approach for a song like this, but it works, at least in the intro. And also, this is again another great example of a song that utilizes the traditional verse, pre-chorus, chorus format to its best ability. While with the song starting out quiet and with things getting more and more louder in the pre-chorus and building up tension and then Colin Bloodstone's lead vocals reach their peak in volume and so does the rest of the band in the chorus. And one thing I wanted to bring up to you about this specific song is the time it clocks in. It clocks in at 2 minutes and 25 seconds. See, unlike a lot of hip-hop and rap songs and other songs and other genres of music, at least in by today's standards, where songs can tend to push the three-minute barrier, popular songs 50 years ago were, for the most part, short and sweet. Meaning, you were hard-pressed to find songs in the charts that went over three, the three-minute marker. And there definitely is something to be said about that. But first, let's talk about why songs back then were so short. Because that might puzzle you if you're so used to hearing those hip-hop and rap songs and EDM songs that go for like four or five minutes with all these different sections in it. But back then, the, the rule was that you couldn't write a song over three minutes, but we'll get into that. Okay, so first of all, when songs are recorded and pressed to a 45 vinyl, there was only so much room one song could take up on a single side of a 45. Because remember back then, when you bought a single, you got two songs for the price of one, an A side and a B side. Before the needle jumps off the record, and it's because how thin you would have to make the grooves on the record if you were to get if you were to get a press on a 45, if you wanted to make it longer than three minutes, which would cause less dynamic range than the 45, which is an important thing to have if you were trying to get your song pressed on a 45 record, and plus. Uh, three minutes was pretty much exactly how much time was allowed for a single 45. So many songwriters stuck to writing songs that were only three minutes of length and they didn't want to go over that. But that would change about a year later from when the song was released, when Bob Dylan released the Six Minute Like a Rolling Stone as a single. But for now, this is just the way things were in the music business back then. And plus, songs over three minutes would interfere with the commercials the DJs wanted to play in between the songs, and they easily figured out they could go on a bathroom break if the song was longer than three minutes, but that was a little bit later. And also, this is one of those songs that was totally electric piano-driven. One of the first of the British Invasion to feature an electric piano, and one that really brought back the interest of that instrument. The last bit get to feature electric piano was in 1963, before the British Invasion. But in that song, let's 
electric piano wasn't as prominently featured as it is in this song. In this song, it's pretty much the only instrument you can hear other than the drums and a little bit of the bass. I mean, you can hear a little bit of a guitar, but I mean, the, the electric piano just like takes over the guitar completely. And Arjun does a great job of keeping his solo short and sweet and not going overboard and going off the deep end by reeling in his playing and getting back into the structure of the song after his solo is over. Well, moving on, let's talk about the lyrics for the song. Because while many songs are short and clear and straight to the point, do a better job of explaining things to listeners so that way you know more about what the song is about. I guarantee you, if you decide to listen to the song, you'll stop after it's over with more questions than answers. But it will definitely stir your curiosity of the song and make you wonder exactly what he's talking about. Like, for example, in the first line of lyric when he says, Well, no one told me about her, the way she lied. Okay, back up for a minute. What the heck did this girl lie about? And why didn't no one tell the guy about her? And then the next line he says, Well, no one told me about her, how many people cried. Okay, so what the heck happened that made a bunch of people cry? And then in the pre-chorus, he switches things around to third person. And then he's like, well, it's too late to say you're sorry. And I'm like, okay, so what does the person he's talking to need to say sorry about? And then he proceeds to tell the person he's talking to that they don't try to find the girl because she's not there. And then he describes what she looks like. And then the song structure repeats. Okay, so we can only speculate since Rod Arjun doesn't really talk about what the song is about, but obviously the person he's talking to did something horribly wrong, and it's too late for that person to apologize for what they did, but we don't know exactly what he or she did. And we also don't know why no one told him about the girl, and exactly what she lied about, or what people were crying about. But what's interesting is that it feels like he's talking to two completely different people. And one thing that did inspire him to write this song was that Rod's wife called off his wedding engagements before the wedding, so that might have inspired the lyrics for the song. We really won't know any clear exclamations for the lyrics in the song unless we interview the guy that wrote the song himself. Well, moving on, let's talk about the zombies, because even though they were just one out of the several British invasion bands that invaded the charts at the time, they definitely had an interesting history, because they were not like all the other British invasion bands at the time. So I know I talked about the British invasion before in my podcast in length in quite a few episodes of the show, but to give you a better idea of how real the takeover was of the British bands invading the charts in America in 1964 and 65, let me just give you some numbers. Okay, so in 1964 alone, there were 16 bands from Britain that occupied slots on the Billboard charts. And I know that might not seem like a lot to you, but when the top 40 on Billboard magazine only consisted of about 40 songs, and these bands from Britain were coming out with new releases every few months, and with most of those releases making the top 40, this obviously created a lot of competition between the American bands and the British groups. And, and they were like, holy shit, we gotta step our game up if we wanna stay relevant with these guys. And I honestly felt like the Revolutionary War all over was happening all over again, this time with the music being in the music business and in the 60s. And with these British invasion bands came the distinction between two types of groups that were from Britain and that were coming from cities such as Manchester and Tottenham and Liverpool and St. Albans in London. 
the first type being the squeaky clean and innocent pop bands that your parents wouldn't have any issues dating one of the members if you were a girl, like the Searchers and Herman's Hermits and Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas and Peter and Gordon and Chad and Jeremy. And then there were the bands that had a real hard edge, the lead singer having a rough and growly voice, but their music was a lot more heavier and blues and rock oriented, and it leaned more towards rhythm and blues and rock and roll and less on pop. And these groups included the Rolling Stones, the Animals, and the Kinks, and the Dave Clark Five. Now, where do the zombies fall in this category? Well, they definitely were not super edgy or hardcore like rock and rock and roll or extremely loud like the Kinks or the Dave Clark Five. But at the same time, they weren't a squeaky clean, bubblegum happy major key band like Hermits, Hermits, or the Searchers, or Jerry and the Pacemakers. The zombies were essentially a category by themselves. Their music was almost borderline jazz and very dark and mysterious and electric piano driven. And while we're at it, let's mention the fact that no other British invasion bands at the time, uh, the zombies came onto the scene with the electric piano and there were no other British invasion bands at the time that had that. And their usage of the electric piano separated them from the pack because the instrument sounded way different from a regular acoustic piano and it added to their distinct sound, while other groups at the time were either using a Vox Continental or Farfisa organs or just regular acoustic piano. They actually might have influenced the Beatles because, the and by the way, the Beatles were the biggest British Invasion band of all time because about a year later after the song came out in 1965, they also u- utilized the electric piano for a song off of their 1965 album, Help, and that song was called Tell Me What You See. But anyways, getting back to the zombies, they originally consisted of Colin Blundstone on lead vocals, Rod Argent on keyboards, Paul Atkinson on guitar, Hugh Grundy on drums, and Chris White on bass. The band was originally from St. Albans, and it originally was Argent and Atkinson and Grundy and a guy named Paul Arnold on bass with lead vocalist Colin Blundstone. They all originally got together in 1961, but they didn't start to perform as a group seriously until about a year later in 1962. They were originally called the Mustangs, but when they quickly found out the other groups were using that exact same name, they quickly, they quickly changed their name to the Zombies. And the guy that named the group was, their, was the original bass player, Paul Arnold. The keyboard player vaguely knew what a zombie was, and the lead singer had no idea exactly what it was. But the guy picked out the name of the group because he knew that it would be a name nobody else would have, and it would be a cool name to have for a band, and it just stuck with them. But now let's get to the song. Okay, so the song I'm reviewing in this week's show, it was in fact the band's first hit single, the first single they had of any kind. And in fact, it was a result of the band's first professional recording session, and it all happened because they won a local Battle of the Bands competition called the Heartspeed Competition, and the prize was a recording contract for Ducker Records and a recording session at their studios. At the time, the band had not really written any original material, but it was their producer that was assigned to them by Decca, Ken Jones, that encouraged them to come up with some original material along with the cover songs the band was already doing for the session. Rod Argent, the group's keyboard player, one day before the recording session, looked at the back of a John Lee Hooker album and saw a title off of one of the cuts on the album, No One Told Me, and BAM! That's when inspiration struck for him, and that's when he wrote She's Not There. 
The band recorded the song primarily in one take, but there were a few additional overdubs, such as a few extra beats on the snare drum, superimposed on the track, beefing them up to make them sound less small and a little bit more bigger. And Rod Argent was also influenced by Brian Hyland's Sealed with a Kiss for some of the chord changes in the song, specifically the D to D minor change in the pre-chorus, and that was borrowed from Sealed with a Kiss. The song also originally only had one verse, and the producer originally wanted to go back to the beginning, but after Rod played the track to the producer with just the one verse in the solo, the producer had Rod come up with another verse for the song before it was recorded. And the song was written in the bass player's bedroom, and by the way, the name of the bass player again was Chris White. The single was released in July of 1964 and eventually got to number two in the U.S. in December of 64, making the zombies part of the British invasion. Another thing that made the distinction between the zombies and other British invasion bands from this era is that she's not. They had one more big follow-up hit after she's not there with Tell Her No, that also made top ten in America. But then for the next two years, they never had another hit in the U.S. and they ultimately only had one hit in the U.K. This caused a lot of problems with the band because of how dependent groups were with having hits on the charts at the time in order to stay relevant as a record buying public taste were changing and music was also changing as well and also to make money so they can eventually support themselves as well. The band in 1967 recorded one more album for CBS called Odyssey and Oracle and then the band broke up. Long story short, when the album was released as a single, after being pushed by Al Cooper, who was the CBS A&R man to be released in America, one of the songs off the album, Time of the Season, made top 10 in 1969. But the band was history by that time, and they were already forming another project that would sooner or later become Argent. But when this happened, booking agents and managers were like, wait a minute, this group has a hit song on their hands. They, they can't, they, but we can't. They can't promote the song because they're no longer a working entity. They're no longer a band. They're history. They're done. So what they did is actually got. A, they actually put together a group of fake zombies, um, you know, to promote the single. And but the group just never got back together uh, for a very long time, and they just you know continued on as Argent. And it was their distinctive sound that set them apart from everyone else. And before I wrap up with this podcast, I wanted to say that I actually saw this band live in 2015 at the Saban Theater. And they were unbelievably good. I mean, when I saw them, it was all the surviving original members, plus the lead singer and the keyboard player. And it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Collins' lead vocals are pretty much exactly the same as they were 50 years ago, and you can still sing all the songs in the original keys, and even though there are times where I wish I saw them 50 years ago, I'm glad I got to see them 50 years later, and I probably would have seen the same show if I saw them back then versus today, and it was uh, minus their new songs, but I'm so glad I had the opportunity to do that. So that concludes episode number 12 of my 60s music podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. And as always, if you found the information I talked about in this week's episode of the show interesting, or you found the information I talked about on the song or the band, or you checked out the song I talked about in this week's episode, you fell in love with it and you want to tell me about it, please shoot me an email at sam at hickeywilliams.com. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at iheartoldies. You can check out more of my original music at Sam Williams music.net and by the way um, I actually have a really cool announcement for you guys if you're in the LA area um, early August like the first week of August 
Um, like last week of July, first week of August, I have a show at this place called Bar Lubitsch in West Hollywood, and it's on August 6th. It's 21 and over. I go on at 10, and there's a $10 cover. So if you want to come see me perform live and you're in the L.A. area and you want to tell me how much you love my show or if you want to like, listen to some of my original music, I would highly suggest you do that if you're in the L.A. area and you're free. It's on a Monday night, so... Uh, please come out and do that. And yeah, and also, like I said before, I'm still doing the shout-outs. So if you leave a really good review for my show, I will personally shout you out uh, in the in the in the comments section on the show. So uh, you know when you when you leave a review on like an iTunes or whatever you listen to this show from. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and thank you very much for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please. Keep things moving.